This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to start in a verse in the book of Psalms, verse one, uh, chapter 119 and verse 14. It says here, I have rejoiced in the way of the testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts. I have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. When we look at this passage and we think about the words that are discussed here, we see a lot of things. And we know that when it comes to God's word, that is the ultimate guide for us in our lives. And we think about the passage here, all of these words that are shared with us are action words. You know, when we talk about rejoicing in anything, as it says here, rejoicing in the way of thy testimonies, that's not something that we're reactive to. We don't step back and say, I'm rejoicing, that makes me very happy. No, we go to that. We go to that. An example we have here this morning, we have a new birth, we have a baby. We don't rejoice by saying, no, back away from me. I'm so glad that this has happened. We go to these people and we share that moment with them and we rejoice in that. And that's what it's talking here about God's testimonies. We will rejoice in those things as much as in all riches. There's anything that gets anybody excited, it's in riches, isn't it? We get excited about those things. If we get the opportunity for a promotion at work or to own more cows or whatever the case is for you, we pursue those things in these riches. It's the same thing here when it talks about his testimonies that we should rejoice in those things. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy words. Those actions that we should take in that. And then I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. The actions that we should take. To never forget God's word. For him to always have a place in the decisions that we make and the life that we live and those that we surround ourselves. Knowing that God always has a place for that. You know, in our lives, each and every one of us, we've all matured. We've all gone through some cycle that we start out and we're, we're not so smart when we're younger and we grow and we learn and we do things. We do things differently. We make mistakes. We don't want to make those same mistakes. And it's the same in our Christian lives. When we start out, something within us comes to the realization that there's something in our lives that stands between us and our God. And when we figure out what that is, we seek a way to rectify that. And that's how we come to name the name of Jesus. And when we do that, we do that many times out of what? Out of fear and guilt, don't we? Fear and guilt. Fear of what may happen to us if we were to die in that state. Guilt for the things that we've done. And we seek a way to rectify that. So when we think about these things, we think about rejoicing in his testimonies, we're looking for a way to live that life. We want to be a part of Jesus. We want him in our lives. We want him in our congregations. We want him in our communities. But as we mature, it becomes less and less about those things of fear and guilt. We may carry those things with us, and I'm not saying we won't at times. But we have to mature to the point where we're pursuing these things, that we're following what that says in Psalms 119, that this becomes a part of our life that we want to embrace. 
And in doing so, we will mature in our Christian lives. In Ephesians 5 and 17, it says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We can't do His will if we don't know what it is, can we? We have to know what His will is. And how do we do that? Through study, through conversations with like-minded Christians. All of these things done together to work toward that ultimate goal. You know, it's a new concept for most of us. We never seek ways to fulfill the laws of the land, do we? We don't sit and ponder and and do searches on the internet for what's a new way for me to follow the law in this land. You know, for most of us, when it came to driving, our parents took us down to maybe the DMV and they took us there and they put us in a car with some stranger and he checked a bunch of boxes and everybody just hoped for the best. That's not what we're doing here. We can't just hope for the best. And when we think about the way that we approach laws, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't even know that I could figure out what the law was on certain things. I wouldn't know where to go to find that. We know where to find the laws that God had had in mind for us. We seek his word, and that's where we find those things. In Matthew 12 and verse 47, it says, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them, Unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. As Christians, we desire to be numbered among God's people, don't we? And here it points out that to do the will of a Father makes that possible to be a part of God's kingdom. You know, this is, an ex- is non-exclusive. There's nothing that holds us out from doing that. You know, when we look around at different things, we look on social media and we look in in these different areas and what we see on TV, they always make a point to show us these exclusive things. Here's this great hotel that you could never possibly afford to stay in. Wow. Here's these vacations that we could never go on. Too many times we buy into that. That you've got this exclusive thing that you can't be a part of because of your social background. You don't have the right acquaintances or you don't have the wealth. And so you can't be a part of that. There's a lot of businesses that are built on that idea. That if we restrict it, it becomes more valuable to people. And so when we look at that, we shouldn't look at God's kingdom in that same way. We should look in God's kingdom as it's for everyone. And everyone that names the name of Christ should be a part of that. It's not an exclusive thing. The only thing that stands between you and becoming a part of Christ is you. And that's a scary thing to a lot of us. Because we have those things in our lives. We have those things that we struggle with. And things that we think that are going to stand between us and God. And we have to find a way to rectify that through Jesus. In the work environment, it's said many times that employees are empowered. You know, I remember having that conversation once. Boss brought me in one time. I was fresh out of school. I went in. He said, well, you know, we're going to talk about these things. And he went through that, and he said, well, I tell you all this to make sure that you feel empowered. You know, my comment was, I figured you empowered me to do my job when you hired me. But okay, let's talk about these things. We've been empowered 
to take control of our destiny. Empowered through Christ that we can have, make, have our lives made right with God. And that should excite us. That should make us look for those ways that we can live our lives according to what he wanted from us. In Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought, you, brought again the, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ paid the price for us to empower us, to empower his people to have that way, to deal with those things that we have that fear and guilt about. There was a plan for that. And that sin that he paid for prevented us from being empowered. He paid that price. And allowing Christ to cover that sin, we can now do the will of God and be pleasing in his sight. Before, we didn't have that power. But through Christ, we do. With all this comes great responsibility on our part. In Ephesians 6, verse 6, it says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You know, it's not good enough to do the right thing, is it? We've got to do the right things for the right reasons. We can't be begrudging in our hearts and, and do the things. That's not rejoicing in his testimonies, as it talked about in the beginning. We've got to do the right things for the right reasons. You know, when we stand in judgment, our deeds aren't what will be in question, will it? It'll be our hearts. That's what will be in question. And many times, it's the hardest thing for us to do because people can't see our hearts outwardly. Can't do it. I can't see your heart. You can't see mine. And we don't know for certain when it comes to that. And so it becomes easy for us to have reservations and to put people off because they can't see those things. And that, what's, what, that is what becomes difficult for us. You know, we're here, we're, we know we're to fellowship with other Christians, and other Christians know we're accountable to God. So it's easy to do the right thing around the people that are in this building. It's easy to do the right thing when we're around people that choose to do the right things. But sometimes it's difficult for us when people can't see our hearts and we're in those situations where we may choose to do what we want to do. In Romans 12, and verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is for us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. You know, as we look back into the old law, it was all about sacrifice, physical sacrifice, and doing the right things and, and giving of that first, first fruits. But you know now, it's about a living sacrifice. Your life, your heart, your mind, that's what he wants. And that's what we've got to strive to give to him. That's our reason for being here is to serve God. And it's our reasonable service as it says in verse 1. Everything else that goes on in life is just a distraction. You know, I look back 
in the last couple of weeks, and Ian gave a, gave a lesson. He said, distractions abounding. And that's what we're dealing with. There are distractions on every front. They're coming from every direction, these distractions, that take us away and help cause us to lose our focus on what we should be focused on. It's our jobs, our wants, the people around us, everything in this life becomes a distraction. You know, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice means we don't let these things come before God. And it will take focus. It will take us rejoicing in those testimonies in order to be able to fulfill that. In 2 Timothy 2 and 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, we've got to study to know God's will for our lives. And here it talks about a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Why is that workman not ashamed? Because he's done what he's supposed to in the way he was supposed to. You know, it's a little quality assurance on our part. When we look at our lives and we're that workman and we're looking at how we're fulfilling what God would have from us, we do that assessment and where we find that we fall short, we, we correct those things in our lives. And we don't just go complete, uh, continue down that same path. We redirect as needed. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. These scriptures are inspired by God, and that's how we know what he wants from us, because those things are inspired by him, and that's where we, we look to. And it's good for reproof, for correction. So when we talk about doing that assessment of our lives, that's what we look to. We compare our lives to what we read here and to understand where we fall short, where we can make improvement, and where we may do, be doing a good job. You know, too many times we don't think about that. Sometimes we're doing a lot of good in our lives, and we don't need to be boastful about that or proudful about it, but we need to understand that we don't just always fall short that we can fulfill what he wants from us, and we can know what that is by what we're taught here. In Ephesians 3 and verse 1, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You know, Paul said, when you read, you'll understand. And that may not be the first time. It may take some of us a few times. I know that I've had things when I, or I've gone and I've studied, and then I find out, well, maybe my understanding wasn't quite correct. So it may take a few times when we do that. We may come to church, and we may hear a speaker speak on a subject. That may make it clearer to us. You know, sometimes when you're up here teaching, and you try to get a point across, and then some... You just feel like you're a complete failure because you, you talk and you talk and you don't feel like you got your point across. And then somebody follows you on, your, you on the floor and they pretty much sum it up in a couple sentences. You know, that's a weird feeling to think that you struggled that much. But that's why we gather here. And that's one advantage we have to having multiple teachers. Some people's teaching style doesn't fit us. And so it's, it's good and we're thankful that we have somebody else that may 
be able to make that clear. And so that's a good thing. And that's one thing we gain by coming together and studying with one another. Let's look at Christ's examples of doing God's will. In John 4 and 31, it says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Christ makes it clear here. His purpose for being with them, he was there to do the will of God. And we see in the scripture time and time again where he, he laid it out and he made it abundantly clear. He was not here of his own will. He came willfully, but it was God's will that he was here to follow. You know, we see the attitude repeated over and over. That that was the reason for his being. And that's the example that was set for us. That we should be about God's work. And not necessarily about the things of this world. In John 5 and verse 30 it says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will. But the will of the Father which has sent me. You know he says he's not here to do it for his own purposes. Again repeating that same thing. He's here to do God's will. And he constantly reminded them that everything else in this life should come second to doing the will of the Father. In John 6, in verse 38, it says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of them that sent me. Again, echoing that same thing. And again and again through Scripture, and that's not the only ones, we see that he made it clear to them that he was here to do the will of the Father. He kept making that point. He was not living for himself, but for God. Doing these things that God wants from us, it isn't always easy. We know that. We fail at times. We struggle at times. We hit obstacles. We have all of these things in our lives. And we all deal with them differently. But we should come to the one point to know how we should live our lives. In 1 Peter 3 and 16 it says, Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He tells us it's better to suffer for good than for doing evil. You know, there's nothing anyone can do to us for standing up for God that would even come close to what will happen if we're lost. If we're in that lost state, it's going to be much, much worse than anything we suffer following Christ. We have entirely too much to lose. Christ suffered unjustly, didn't he? Something more brutal than any of us will ever experience. And he did it for us and to do the will of God. And God's will for us doesn't come close to having that type of expectations for our lives. He'll never ask us to make the steps that Jesus made. But we can, we can gain something from that and the gift that he gives us. In 1 Peter 4 and 16 it says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And, the, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God?
You know, we'll face some undesirable consequences for standing up for God. We know that. Many of us may have already experienced that. We may have experienced it at work or in our community, wherever the case is. There are going to be times when people object to that. And that's okay. We've got to be strong in the face of doing those things and understand that we still have expectations on how we could, should approach that. In Psalm 62 and verse 8, it says, trust, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You know, we've got to trust in him. He's a refuge. That should be the place that we fall back to, is the refuge that God presents to us. And in times of despair and temptation and persecution, embrace that refuge. And we meet regularly here with others to seek that refuge. And you know, when we come here, we shouldn't bring the pollutants of the world in with us. We should come with an open mind. You know, oftentimes when we come here, and I've been guilty of this myself, we come here and we let those things that are on our minds on a regular basis, and we bring those with us, and we take God's time and we set that aside and we think about these things through the service, don't we? We pollute our worship to God with those things. This is our refuge. I tell you what, in the next 45 minutes to an hour, you are not going to solve the problems you have in this life. You're not going to do it. You're not going to be able to strategically form a plan on how you're going to get out of whatever situation you're in. It's not going to happen. Give God the time that he requests of us. Oh, start over with a fresh mind. Ask for guidance. Do all of those things, but don't pollute your worship to God with the cares of this world. In Matthew 18 and verse 11, it says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth not he leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? An important point here is that what God's will is not. It's not God's will that any should perish. It's not his will. That's not what he wants. And as we saw before, he reaches out to everyone and we make the choice to follow him. We can choose to follow him or we can choose not to. The power is within us. Jesus has empowered us to embrace that. And we'll make the choice one way or another, whether or not we're going to accept the gift that he offers each of us. So as we look back at the study of this morning, we want to remember a few things. Don't follow God out of fear of guilt. Grow as a Christian and make it more than that. It needs to be more than fear and guilt. We have to get past those things, and we do that through Christ. Call it respect, call it desire, call it whatever you want. But if you follow God out of sincere want to do his will, you'll grow as a Christian. And you'll grow stronger than you ever thought possible if we can get past those things. Because fear and guilt are negative terms and they push us from him. They separate us from them. And if we've done what we need to do and we've named the name of Christ and we've counted on him to forgive us of those sins, we should have confidence in that.
have confidence in our salvation so that we seek to do his will and we're constantly looking for ways to improve our lives. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.